Good evening. Hi. So here we are on the concentration retreat, the second evening. Second evening after two full days of practice, and usually this is the time that the the hindrances are full blown. The you know what we lovingly call the swamps, the swamps of fatigue, falling asleep. Maybe it's starting to wear off a little bit. Maybe yesterday was stronger, but today still. It shows up. Anyone visited by the swamps today? Yeah, of course. Hand, keep your hand up proudly. It's that's part of the human condition, part of the condition of sitting a concentration retreat. This is what happens. It's not just you. It's yeah. It's other people. Anybody else visited by the hindrances? Hold your hand up. Proud. Yes. Look around. Actually, look around, everyone. Yeah. Of course. This is our practice. This is our humanity. It's embracing our humanity. It's embracing our common humanity of sitting and practicing with stuff. Here we are, practicing samadhi, intention for concentration, and oh yeah, of course, of course. (sighs) So first and foremost, to just take heart with that, to take heart. You're still here. You haven't left screaming. Please don't. Talk to us first. And just sitting in there, being, staying with, really, it's part of this practice. Part of this practice is um, sitting with, sitting with, especially as, as Philip was mentioning last night, there was something about the practice of samatha about concentration that you know your mind when it starts to become calmer even if you don't think it's any calmer yet it's starting to get calmer little by little so the mind starts to feel like a microscope when it gets calmer and calmer a concentrated mind even with a little more calmness so if hindrances, you know, a thought, a memory, something you did 10 years ago, a plan, a fear, is like a little, you know, the size of a little insect in your life, just comes and goes under the microscope. It's like, ah! Right? It, it can feel like that. And that's, and, and that's really a product of concentration. Um, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, buckle up. <laughs> and just hang in there. Take heart. Take heart. Take heart. So, for the, tonight's talk, first I have an invitation. And the invitation is my hope, really, to be here in service, in in being part of the team and teaching is is to really serve your practice in the best that I'm able to. So in tonight's talk, please take whatever is supportive to you. And if there's anything that's not supportive, let it go. Okay? Just be 
um, your inner own inner Dharma mentor and see what's helpful to you. Practice with that and what, what is not, just let go. Let go. We keep practicing letting go. So we do that with this talk also. Also what you will notice in this talk that as I was um, putting it together and drawing from some of the previous talks and day-longs and various teachings that I've given on, on concentration, which is one of my favorite topics of practice, and I'll say more about my personal relationship with it later. As I was going through it, I was chuckling and smiling and so happy because I have this set of, of um, supportive structures that I've put together, like eight different things, and I was hearing echoes of what, what Philip was sharing last night, Yes, we are going to tell you the same things, but in different ways, in different forms, because we have one topic, it's concentration. So you'll hear it in different ways, packaged differently, maybe the way Philip says it, from the way Nikki says it, or Ramana says it, they will land differently, but just listen with Zen mind, beginner's mind. Some of you have been practicing for a very long time. And my invitation is to approach this material as if you were listening, hearing it for the first time. Just hear it differently. Because as you know, as Suzuki Roshi puts it beautifully, the Zen master, the, the experienced mind is closed. There is no opportunity for growth or learning. The beginner's mind, ah, there's so many possibilities. And we're all learning together. I loved Philip saying that last night. We're all learning. After so many years, I continue to learn. I love learning about this. There are more aspects to explore and see. Um, so give yourself that, please, that gift, that invitation to listen with, with a child's beginner's mind. Oh, interesting. Maybe it lands differently. So a few things I want to, so I'll tell you what, um, what things I hope to cover. And if they don't get covered, there are other talks coming. This is, you know, we have many more days. So I like to start by touching into why we practice this practice, why we practice concentration, why this practice in particular. And then I like to to offer the eight um, structures, supportive structures for samadhi. Um, and, and if there is time, I would also like to touch into the jhanic factors, just to familiarize for those of you who may not be familiar with them, or a refresher, remind those of you who know them, just a refamiliarity, so that if they show up on the terrain, as you're practicing, you recognize them. Not to set up expectations. Not to set up any expectations for the jhanic factors to arise, but just in case they arise naturally on their own. As you give yourself wholeheartedly to this practice, you recognize them. So that's, that's the outline. Let's see how far we get. Ready? Okay. 
So, why practice? Why practice samatha, concentration? What is the goal? So let's keep in mind that this path in general, this path of Buddhism, it leads somewhere. It leads somewhere. The same way that that the river, rivers, water lead to the ocean. This practice, it leads to Nibbana. That's our destination. The destination is freedom. The destination is awakening. How to relate to that? as something accessible, waking up to our humanity, waking up to, waking up from perhaps the way that we take ourselves too seriously, the, the way that we are entangled in ourself, in our, in our own little self, in our suffering, to become free. Free from what ails us, so that no matter what the conditions of the of our lives are, there is a sense of ease and freedom. We don't suffer. So let's keep that aspiration in mind while we practice this practice of concentration. And I'll tell you, and I'll share in a moment how it fits. Because sometimes when we get so tight, so tight, so wanting the concentration, actually, we're increasing our level of suffering instead of the other way around. So let's keep the bigger picture in mind, not the little picture of getting. So so this practice, the Buddha constantly talked about it. Um, if you look at the suttas, and it's part of many lists, the Buddha-like lists, the seven factors of enlightenment, this is part of it, Eightfold Path, this is part of it. The five spiritual faculties, the indriyas, it's a part of it. So the role of the practice of concentration is central. Um, and once I counted, actually, the number of times the word uh, jhana showed up in Majjhima Nikaya, and after, um, after Buddha and Dharma it was number three with a few other keywords. So it was three, it was tied up in a number three with a few other, but whoa, that was the level at which the, this practice of concentrations really emphasized. So there's also, as, as um, might have been mentioned, I can't remember. Um, there is a difference between the level of, you know, what's this, um, different teachers. Yes, I believe Philip mentioned this last night. You know, there is this idea of question of how much concentration is really needed for awakening, for vipassana. So we do this practice. We do the practice of samatha, samadhi, concentration in order to do vipassana. We don't do concentration practice as a standalone in this tradition. Um, and that's a very important thing to realize. It's not a standalone. It's really practiced in order to support the awakening practice of vipassana. So the way we can think about it is, is um, concentration is, you know, um, can feel like especially um, as you're here, as you're, 
your practice and um, concentration, it can feel like, you know, if um, if you were just doing vipassanas, like you're rowing in, in a little boat towards the shore of awakening. And if you really cultivate your concentration, it's like you spend the time to to create a little motor. Then you put the motor on the boat and then vroom, it can go faster towards the shore of awakening because the mind can see much more clearly. Another simile that I like to to offer is, um, this is kind of a, a 21st century simile, the Buddha didn't talk about it, but it's a simile of binoculars. So if you're looking, if you're investigating reality, if you're investigating with a vipassana, if you're looking, in, if you're investigating, if your binoculars are, don't have a sta- st- stable platform, if they don't have a stable stand, they'll be all over the place. It's harder to stabilize the mind, to see, to investigate nature of reality. So the practice of samatha, the practice of concentration, builds, you're building that stand, you're building this stable stand so that you can put your binoculars on them. And then, ah, investigate nature of reality, the three characteristics. So, to say just a little more about Vipassana and, and Samatha, it's actually, so Vipassana is where we turn our mind to contemplate the three characteristics. So we are actually contemplating change. When you're doing insight practice, you're contemplating change. With Samatha practice, with concentration practice, you're turning your mind to the same object, to stability, to um, the, the sameness. So you're investigating sameness, whereas in, in, in concentration, whereas in Vipassana, you're investigating change. And Samatha inclines the mind towards stillness, towards the, and, and it stabilizes the mind in non-changingness. So as you keep bringing your attention back, as we will do that with the breath over and over, it's staying with the breath, staying with the breath, the non-changing, staying with the breath. Whereas if you were doing Vipassana, you would be investigating change, arising, passing, and, and uh, the not-self, um, as well as dukkha, the three characteristics. This was put, in some ways, beautifully by Steve Armstrong, um, who taught this retreat in 2005, when I was sitting it in your seat. And, I, and the w- one way he put it, the difference between Vipassana and Samatha practice is, with Vipassana, you ha- you're practicing serial monogamy. (laughs) You're with one object, you're really dedicated to it. The mind is with one object. Then you move on to another object. You you move on from the sound to sensation, you're really with it. Then you move to 
an emotion, you're really with it, then you're investigating thoughts, you're really dedicated to it. So serial monogamy, right? You're not, you're really dedicated to one object. Okay. Comparing that to samatha practice, concentration practice, absolute monogamy. You pick one object, the breath, and you stay with the breath over and over and over again, coming back to it over and over and over again. And when other objects take you away, you bow to them, thank you very much, you put them down, you come back to the breath. Another object takes you away, you don't investigate anymore. As it came up in in the question this morning, in Vipassana, you investigate, oh yeah, okay, but here you don't, like, okay, thank you very much, not now, you come back. Thank you very much, not now, you come back. And please make sure your attitude is, not now, go away, because that is the sure way, ouch, for this practice to become really tight, really And you wouldn't want to do it. You don't want to sit anymore because it's just kind of like, ew, I failed. My mind wandered again. Bad mind, bad mind, no biscuits. You know, (laughs) you don't want to do that to the little puppy of your mind. It's like, okay, come back, sweetie. Come back, little puppy. Come back. Okay, come back. Ronsky, come back, come back, right? With that level of gentleness, you want to do it over and over and over again. Already getting into the supportive structures. Okay, hold on. I want to say a couple more words about the word itself, about the um, the word samadhi itself. So, so the word so samadhi is a state. Samatha is the practice, and samadhi samatha often translated as concentration, hence the name of this retreat, Concentration Retreat. And I liked Philip uh, talking about it as a common center, as a common center. So the word uh, in Pali, the practice sam means together, and the root da is to put or to place. So it relates to the Pali verb Samadhati, samadhati, meaning to put together, to bring together. So one way to think about samadhi, as Richard Shankman puts it in, in his book, The Experience of Samadhi, is samadhi entails unifying the mind in a steady, undistracted awareness. So this idea of unification, unifying, unifying that has been said before. So I bring that because there are many different words to use for for this word um, samadhi, samatha. And I like to use the word, actually, the Pali itself, instead of the word concentration, which is one of my least favorite translations. And the reason is one of my least favorite translations is what I've experienced with many practitioners, not every practitioner, but with many practitioners, is that the word concentration, because we have such a relationship to it from our life, come on, sit and concentrate at school, concentrate, I'm concentrating, I have work to do, 
And there's a sense of tightness that just kind of comes, rides with the word. Like when, um, I've done this practice where I've read, in fact, I'll just do that now. I'm going to read different translations of the word samadhi and see how these land for you. If some of them kind of tighten you up and some of them, ah, land you. So close your eyes. I'm going to read a few different translations. Unifying the mind. Composure, composed, gathering, collectedness, non-distractedness, stabilizing, calming, steady, stillness, the mind being protected from hindrances, and lastly, concentrated. Just feeling your body, what it feels for you, what it feels like for you. And my preparation is to use the word unification, composure. And of course, I think I will, as, as all of us will, will use the word concentration. But again, please, in your experience, see if concentrating conjures up this tightening up of the body, which is the opposite of what we keep inviting you to do, which is to relax, to relax, to relax. If you tighten up, having a state of samadhi is very difficult. So, so, so again, yes, so samadhi is the state of being well composed state of being well composed. It doesn't necessarily mean absorption at all. It doesn't mean jhanas at all. It's just a state of calm, stillness, to whatever level accessible. That's the state of samadhi, okay? So samadhi is the state of being well composed, the mind being well composed, to whatever level it is. Samatha, as I mentioned again, is the practice. Here we are practicing samatha together, the practice of samatha, different from vipassana, which is contemplating the three characteristics, contemplating change. So the supportive, so I like to change gears and now go through the supportive structures and some of them I've already gotten into, but the first and foremost is really your, your intention and your attitude in this practice. That's the most supportive structure. So a getting it attitude does not work. You know, we have the getting it attitude, um, like the work, work ethic achievement, if we have the work ethic of achievement, we lose the present moment appreciation. It's the words of, wise words of Ajahn Suchito. So see if you have this sense of getting, achieving, getting it, which really you will lose the present moment appreciation. Another teacher, Utejaniya, really focuses on attitude in his teachings, and I like to bring that aspect of it in. 
which is, he asks, what is the mind that's meditating? What is your intention? Is the mind that's meditating a demanding mind? Is it calm? Is it peaceful? Is it a wanting mind? Is it an expecting mind? Is it an, a kind of a uh, petulant mind? What is the attitude with which you are practicing? So ter- as you're practicing, as you're making Vitaka Vichara, oh, turn and look at the way that the attitude is. How is the reaching happening? How is the connection happening with the object? The, one, the wanting attitude is the sure way to become really miserable in this practice. Because then everything will feel like an obstacle in your way. Um, then there is no inclination for learning because you just want to get, you want to get, you want to get these, these states that they're talking about. And also, the mind can become really fragile, really irritable and critical. So every person who's coughing in the hall, every person, you know, every door, whatever, sound of the door, every breath that's too loud, every creak is like, the mind becomes really brittle because the mind will see everything as an obstacle. You don't see the humanity, oh, this person is sick, or maybe this person is having a sadness and crying. It's like, ah, you're getting in the way of my concentration. Quiet, I need a quiet hall, right? The mind can become very brittle. And in fact, concentration retreats are places where the, I've seen the most brittleness happen is because of this overstriving. So please watch that in yourself. See, keep, you know, this practice, one, the goal is to become awake to our humanity, not to become brittle and judging and uh, tight. So keep, keep the bigger picture in mind as you're practicing. Notice if, if you're having an adversarial re, um, relationship with the distractions. And as I mentioned earlier, like the little puppy, you know, gently, gently bringing them back. And also, if the distractions come, you know, bow, put them aside with just a bow. I trust you'll still be here. Not now. I'll come back to you later. I trust you will be here. I'll come back to you later. Believe me, the thoughts will still be here. They'll visit you when the time is right after the retreat. You can give yourself wholly to them. And also, what's really important to keep in mind in this practice is the process is where the learning happens. We often miss that. The process of cultivating samadhi is where most of the training, most of the learning happens. And we just think that, oh, I wasted a whole day not getting concentrated. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's the process. What is happening in your mind? What are the patterns that are arising? You remember I know I mentioned the, the microscope? So as you're doing all these patterns in the mind, get even larger. So you get to really sit the patterns of your mind, the patterns of your heart. What do you do when, when the distractions are visiting you, the mind isn't settling? Oh, you really get to know, oh dear, oh sweetie, wow. I become really judgmental on myself, or whatever you do, you really get to see. So whatever the level of 
some samadhi that becomes available to you, please do not be disheartened. Know that whatever happens through this practice, many people, many practitioners, at the end of a concentration retreat, have said, okay, you know, I developed some samadhi. You know, I had aspiration for more, but I developed, but I learned so much about the process. I learned so much about myself. I learned so much about letting go. And that is the bigger lesson. It's the more, more important lesson to take home on the way to really letting go, on, on the way to freedom, awakening. So the letting go that you keep doing the letting go that you keep doing, the letting go, letting go, letting go, that's an awakening practice. So you think you're developing samadhi, but actually it's letting go. You're, You're waking up little by little. So it's all good. Two for the price of one. And also keep in mind that you'll be practicing, and the part of this practice really is developing the paramis of patience. Patience, again and again and again with each breath, and again and again. Patience. Renunciation, which we've talked about, I'll talk more about. Renunciation. And gentle and right effort, energy, virya, the paramis. So number one, has been the attitude, really setting an attitude of letting go, not wanting attitude. Second is relax. It's been said many times, but we're going to keep repeating this over and over and over again. If your body is tight, your mind cannot relax. Your mind cannot settle if the body is tight. We've all learned this in our practice, and you've seen this, and you'll keep seeing this over and over. The the body needs to be relaxed. In fact, the Buddha says in Majjhima Nikaya 36.31 that when he was sitting under the rose apple, when he was sitting under the Bodhi tree the night of his enlightenment, You know, sitting there and thinking, what is the right path? What, what is the way to awakening? It's not happening. Mara keeps visiting him, the trickster. And this memory shows up from, from his childhood, that he's sitting under the shade, cool shade of a rose apple tree. So he says, I thought, I recall once when my father, the Sakin, was working, And I was sitting in the cool shade of a rose apple tree, then quite secluded from sensuality, secluded from unskillful mental qualities. I entered and remained in the first jhana, rapture and pleasure born from seclusion, accompanied by direct thought and evaluation. That's Vitaka and Vichara. Could that be the path to awakening? Yes. That was the path to awakening. So it was the ah, the delight of sitting under this cool shade. Parents are working. Just the delight of seclusion, the pleasure born from seclusion. That ah, it wasn't. Uh, it was like ah, the joy, like 
feel, I mean, that's a beautiful metaphor. When, you're sit, when it's a hot day and you're sitting under the shade of a cool tree, what does it feel like? Ah, relaxed, open, spacious. In fact, sometimes I suggest that people, maybe I'll do this tomorrow in the guided meditation, to, to imagine you're sitting in a warm bath. Ah, oh, our body knows how to get there. Just the body just relaxes and the mind can drop in. The mind can really settle. So the third supportive structure is receive. Relax and receive. They go together. Relax and receive. Receive. It's not so much going out. It's not like taking the fork and, you know, pitching, you know, the broccoli, like, grabbing it that's not the way it's more like taking a spoon and taking soup kind of like as a gentle receive receiving the breath receiving receiving it's very embodied it's an embodied receiving embodiment mentioned a lot last night by philip it's an embodied receive it's an embodied receive <clears throat> the fourth might perhaps be the most important and underrated. And as I was walking <clears throat> towards the hall and seeing many of you walk out, I thought, this fourth one we really need to emphasize. I don't think we've emphasized it, even though we've said it, but it needs more emphasis. Enjoy. this. If you're not enjoying this practice, it becomes hard, dull, difficult, challenging. If you enjoy it, if you find a way to find joy, then it, it will unfold. You want to do it, of course. It's not supposed to be this grim duty that you've signed up yourself for 10 days, like, oh yeah, in breath, out breath, in breath, out breath, uh, in breath, out breath. Uh. Oh my. Enjoy. Ajahn Sachito says it beautifully. He says, I think of enjoyment as receiving joy and samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. Get that. He's a serious monk. <laughs> samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. Isn't that lovely? Write that down. Put that in your room. I'll, I'm going to read the whole quote and read it again. I think of enjoyment as receiving joy and samadhi as the art of refined enjoyment. It is the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. Ah, those are just lovely words. It's the careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. Joyfulness means there is no fear, no tension, no ought to. There isn't anything we have to do about it. So there is stillness. It's just this. Ah, let that be your koan of practicing samadhi. The careful collecting of oneself to the joy of the present moment. The present moment is joyous. There is so much joy. Turn to it right now. Turn to it right now in your experience. Turn inward, the present moment. 
wow, this mystery, this, this amazing, it's, it's sparkling, this present moment with joy, delight. Wow. Can you feel it? Yes? Not if you can feel the, the joy of the present moment. Hang in there. <laughs> the joy of the present moment. Hard work, really, trying so hard, like this, like, Arr! that can work with samadhi practice, with samatha practice, but it's short term. It will fall apart. Believe me, I tried it in my early years. Like, I would like sit and concentrate because that's how I used to know, you know, well, as a you know, computer scientist, like, oh, yeah, concentrate, like, breath, breath, breath. Like, oh, yeah, concentrate. Okay, I got it, I got it. And then I would be exhausted. It would just all fall apart. It would all fall apart. It was only after I learned how to really relax, how to receive, how to enjoy, take delight in my practice, really love it, fall in love with the practice. It's, it's too awesome and life is too short not to enjoy what you're doing. And if you're doing this practice, love it or don't do it. Let the lack of ease in your practice be your guide. If you're feeling lack of ease, tightness, let that be your guide. It's a big pointer. Here, pay attention here. See what's happening in the mind. What's happening in your attitude. What's happening in the body. What's happening. Let that be the pointer. Enjoying, enjoying the breath. You know, there's in the Visuddhi Maga. There's these examples of honey breath, falling in love with the, with the breath. It's just like you can develop a love affair with the breath, and it can be quite quite lovely, enjoyable. Really, um, consider the breath as your best friend. This this friend who's keeping you alive, has been steady with you from the first moment of your birth. Just, you know, there are ways that you can first bring this sense of friendliness, joy, delight, cultivate it, and then see how it might, how it might develop. And joy really shows up, enjoyment and joy shows up in so many places. For example, in transcendent dependent origination, Faith leads to joy, which leads to rapture, which leads to tranquility, which leads to happiness, which leads to concentration, to knowledge and vision, etc., and to freedom, nibbana, in, in this teaching. You know, it's not, the list isn't hard work leads to samadhi, right? It doesn't say that. It says joy leads to rapture, leads to happiness, and leads to concentration, right? So joy, delight. Moving on, the fifth of the supporting factors has been mentioned and needs to be mentioned again and again is seclusion, renunciation of the mind, renunciation of the mind. 
Letting go of other objects, letting go, letting go, letting go, letting go. It's the practice of letting go. And number six, which is related, number five, but a little different. So this is a sense of trust, you know, trust, trusting and surrendering to the practice. Because what you can do, what we can do, each of us, is to put these structures in place. We can't will states of samadhi to happen. We can't do that. That's like a little birdie of grace that sits on your shoulder when, you know, you, you do your part. You do your part, and your part is to relax, to enjoy, to, to have renunciation, attitude, persistence, and trust that you do your part, and don't check your watch every five minutes. Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Am I there yet? Because we can't do this. We, can't, we don't do this. We, we, don't, we don't know how to do this. It's, our minds will take over at some point. And for me, that was a real opening, I think, on that retreat I sat, actually, in 2005, is I was struggling, struggling. It was towards the very beginning of my practice. And, and at some point, I just decided, you know, these are the words that came up for me. This may not work for you, but the words that came up for me was, you know, I'm just going to do the work. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to be with the breath. I'm just going to do it and not expect any expectations. And the words were, if it finds me worthy, it will visit me. If it finds me worthy, I'm just going to do it. If it finds me worthy, it will, it will arise. So I just did it. I just did the work, you know, all the various teachings and and with that letting go, with not wanting. I mean, for me, that if it finds me worthy was an aspect of letting go. Just Another factor, the seventh, another uh, supporting structure is curiosity. Really being curious and being interested in your experience because that brings up energy. So... When you become bored, can you be curious? Can you, can you notice something about your breath you've never noticed before? <laughs> can you notice your breath in you know, the, the beginning of the in-breath? What is it like? The middle of the in-breath, what is that like? The end of the in-breath, the eight parts of the breath. Like having curiosity, where do you feel it in the body? Just take time to be curious. There is so much to be curious about. And the eighth, the last, is gentle persistence. It's gentle, but it's persistent. It's over and over and over again. So the word that I love here is from from Satipatthana Sutta. The word is atapi, that shows up, that shows up a lot in there. And... um, Atapi, gentle, translated as gentle but persistent effort. Gentle, persistent effort. So it's not like a hammer, right? It's not a hammer. It's gentle, but it's persistent. It's persistent. It's persistent. So 
you also, you want to make sure, you know, you're not too gentle, because then you'll never make contact, right, with the object. So it's like tuning a bow in the similes. When it's like a, um, a stringed instrument, not too tight, not too loose. So know that at times you will get too tight, that's okay. You will learn from that because you feel it in your body. You might get a headache. You, your body will be all tense and tight. It's not a sin. It will just hurt. You'll learn from it. Then you'll go the other way. And then maybe you'll become too loose and you're like, whoa, I'm not connecting at all. It's just my mind is all foggy. Like, oh, okay, so where is the middle? So you will do this too tight, too loose until, ah, you find the... The sweet spot. And speaking of the sweet spot, this, this connecting, connecting, I think that's a good transition to speak a little bit about the, the jhanic factors. So, so the jhanic factors, what are the jhanic factors? So the jhanic factors, when the mind starts to settle and become more unified. So, so actually, let's put it this way. So the, John, so the first two jhanic factors are the two that we, we put in place, vitaka and vichara, that have been mentioned last night, and I'll say more about them. The other three jhanic factors will arise on their own when the time is right, when the mind ripens. You can't will them, you can make them happen. So the reason why I'm offering them tonight, we're offering them tonight, is for you to recognize them if they arise, not to will them or want them. So please keep that in mind. So the first two, vitaka and vichara, the initial application and the sustained application, I love all the ways that Philip talked about it last night. Application to initial application and sustained application. And there are some similes, that another simile that I wanted to bring in, which is what I usually use when I teach. <clears throat> and there's a simile of the bowl. And other teachers such as Upandita have used this before. I tried to find the suttas. I couldn't find the suttas, but I found uh, find it in... Uh, also referred to by um, by Upandita in uh, in this very life in his book. So, so vitaka. So you can think of vitaka. So um, actually, the way I teach it is a little different from the way he teaches it. But anyway, so here is a simile that works. So try this out. So think of you have a bowl. You have a nice big bowl, or maybe a mug. Maybe practice this, you know, physically in the dining hall. So, vitaka, you make contact. Vitaka, and then vichara. Ah, you polish it. You polish the bowl. Can you see me back there polishing this bowl? Okay. Vitaka, you make contact with your object, your breath. And then you polish the body of it. You, you, you feel it. You really feel. And then at some point, maybe it'll drop again. Your vitaka will drop. You'll do vitaka again. And you do vichara. 
you go for a while, maybe it'll drop again. Oh, Vitaka, again, you make contact and you rub, you rub. Does, does that make sense? So it literally feels like you aim, you connect, and you, oh, and you're rubbing the body. You're rubbing the body of the breath. You're staying with your, you're rubbing the body of the breath with your attention, with your awareness. It really feels that way. It's like, oh, it's physical. It's an embodied, like, ah, you're rubbing the body, and then your attention at some point drops again. And then you do what? Vitaka again. So, for those who might be interested in the Pali words, Vitaka, V-I-T-A-K-K-A, is how it's spelled. Vichara is V-I-C-A-R-A. Um, when the C is pronounced as a ch. So, so those are the two factors that you, you put in place. You put in place Vitaka and Vichara. Vitaka and Vichara. Again and again and again. The other three arise on their own when the time is ready. If they arise. So the third is piti. P-I-T-I, piti. And it's translated in so many different ways. It's translated as joy, rapture, and it can show up in many different ways for practitioners. Um, in fact, the Visuddhi Magga talks about five dip- different types of piti, different types of rapturous energy that can show up. Ranging from minor rapture, momentary or instantaneous rapture, showering or flowing, uplifting, transporting, or suffusing, all-pervading rapture or joy. So there are different levels, different ways it can be felt um, for some practitioners. So without going into too much detail, um, for some practitioners it might show up as the feeling like, oh, the minor rapture can show up as little, little ants are crawling on your skin and you, and, you know, you're practicing like, whoa, have, you look, oh, no ants. So it can feel that way or it can feel um, uh, sometimes there are some movements in the body that are not intentional um, that people experience. It can show up in so many different ways. Um, can also show up in a diff- in, in in the sense of joy. This idea of this. Um, you know, when I was talking about like falling in love with the breath, like all of a sudden, like wow, the breath is so sweet. Your sense of joy is arising. It's just like as you're breathing, just the breath is joyous. That's also pity, another way of that pity can show up. So there's so many different ways they can show up. Um, so basically what we say in this practice is if, you know, weird things show up, it's okay, just check in with us. We can, we can tell you. But to say, you know, pity can sometimes be pleasant. Sometimes it can be unpleasant. And sometimes it's neither pleasant nor unpleasant. It just has can have different feeling tones about it. So, so really, what becomes important is how to work with it, not to want it. Oh, that was so good. That was so great. I love some more. It's like oh, I don't want the creepy crawlies or ah, oh, make it go. So it's just like ah, oh, the same way that hiccups arise, they come, they go. PT arises. PT comes. PT goes. 
and it's a signpost. So if you get too excited about PT, it's like, oh, PT, you get a, it's like you're driving, you know, you get, you get a signpost that says destination this way. It's like, oh, you get out and you hug the post, you'll never get to your destination. So PT is like a signpost. It's telling you, oh yeah, you're in the neighborhood. It's kind of like, you know, things are, the mind is getting more collected. And there are lots of different signs, PT signs along the, along the road, and the five different types and all that. So just leave the details. So the fourth of the five jhanic factors is sukha, spelled as S-U-K-H-A, translated as bliss, translated as happiness, and this is a sense of, you know, it also can show up as contentment, bliss, happiness. And one way that it can be experienced is, say, PT could be, you know, likened in some ways, likened to like drip, drip of, of morphine. It's kind of like, uh, like or um, it's kind of strong or not morphine, it's uh, endorphins. It's kind of like strong, it's like, whoa, whoa. Whereas, whereas sukha is like, ah, it's kind of a bliss. It's kind of a sense of, feeling bliss that can pervade um, the whole body. So to recognize that sweetness, that, that sukha, um, that bliss, happiness that can arise on its own. Again, not willed. If, if these little birdies of bliss sit on your shoulder at any given practice period, bow to them, appreciate them, and let them go. Don't look after them. Don't try to figure out, okay, how did I sit? What did I have for breakfast? How, was I sitting like this? Because um, this, is a, this is a famous saying by a um, yogi who years ago went to, practice, to, 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 to have a practice meeting with Joseph. And the yogi said, there's nothing like a good sit to ruin your day. <laughs> I hear some knowing laughter in the hall. When you have a good sit in the day, it's like, oh, that was so good, can I get that again? It's that comparing mind, it's the wanting mind. Like, let it go, let it go, bow to it, just do it. If it finds you worthy, it will show up again. The last of the five jhanic factors is ekagata, or ekagata, ekagata. E-K-A-G-G-A-T-A. And this often translated as one-pointedness. And that can feel, again, differently, which can show up in different ways for different people. And it can feel, some ways that it shows up, one way that it shows up is, is like a magnet. Like there's a magnet, like you, the, the, the attention just cannot get away. It's like a magnet. The mind is like, whoop. So... That's one way. It can also feel as been uh, as described as, as as if the mind has been nailed to the object. It just cannot move, and it's and again you can't will it. It just happens on its own. It's like wow, this is interesting. Okay, one point of this. So so these jhanic factors. Um, they can they can arise, they can pass, and um, 
and they, um, maybe I'll leave it at that. I want to say, I want to wrap up the talk with one, um, one more thought coming back to the intention, the, dif- the difference between aspiration and expectation. I started with the attitude, with the intention. I want to go back to it because I think that's really, really important. So the question might arise, okay, so we're not supposed to have this, you know, we're supposed to have a not wanting attitude, you know, not want. Okay, so how can you have an intention, set an intention if you don't have, an, you know, if you don't want? So it's really the difference between expectation and aspiration. Expectation is you expect this to happen. You want this thing to happen. Like that's how we go about our lives, right? When we have a project, we you know we these are the steps and break it down and do it and we expect this. We work with colleagues. We expect it to happen. This doesn't quite work that way. It's more of an aspiration. You set your aspiration. Please set your aspiration your highest intention. This is my aspiration. And set your aspiration as highly as you possibly can. Set your aspiration for awakening in this very life. And as you set your aspiration, let that be your North Star. Let that be your North Star, the long-term North Star, not the short-term, getting this, expecting this. To end with a poem by Mary Oliver. And you're welcome to close your eyes and let this wash over you. The poem is called Mindful and it emphasizes enjoyment and joy. Let it wash over you. Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Nor am I talking about the exceptional, the fearful, the dreadful, the very extravagant, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Oh, good scholar, I say to myself, how can you help but grow wise with such teachings as these, the untrimmable light of the world, the ocean's shine, the prayers that are made out of grass? Couple of lines again instruct myself over and over in joy. I'm not talking about the exceptional, but of the ordinary, the common, the very drab, the daily presentations. Let's sit together for a moment and let the words just settle.
May you enjoy your practice all the way to awakening. Thank you for your kind attention. Feel free to keep whatever is helpful and let go of whatever is not. And we'll have a sit, a walking period now and to sit and, and one of us will be back or some of us will be back for, um, for the nine o'clock last sit of the evening. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.